welcome to the Shadow of the Valley, the show that explores how technology disrupts society. I'm your host, Tal Leeds. Join me as we navigate our rapidly shifting technological landscape. Together, we'll explore key concepts and seek clear insights. Join us as we cut through the distractions to find solutions to some of our toughest challenges. This episode's guest is Ruben Cantu. Ruben is one of Austin, Texas's premier social entrepreneurs. As the founder and CEO of several media, marketing, and social good organizations, Ruben's work aims to uplift, overlook communities, and provide them with the tools they need to thrive. He is currently Director of Inclusive Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the University of Texas at Austin. Inherently, if we seek to empathize and and put that into the framework of creating artificial intelligence, machine learning, and new emerging technologies, mm-hmm. then we'll be able to help humanity thrive. Together, we'll explore the value of diversity in the tech sector, ways to address tech-fueled income inequality, and why technology may be part of our ongoing evolution as human beings. Let's begin. 2018's been a dark year for technology, especially in social media. The biggest story was, of course, Facebook and how they enabled Russian agents to sow disinformation and electoral chaos into the 2016 election in the United States. This might just be the tip of the iceberg, though. There were many other things happening this year that were, at the very least, disturbing. It's arguable that these are the growing pains of what's called the Fourth Industrial Age. Automation, virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, they're all part of this wave of technological innovation that is poised to disrupt society as we know it. Some may argue, and I think I would be one of them, that we've been too naive about the potentials of tech to transform our world for the better. In past decades, the social good that would come from tech was thought of as just a given. Right? Of course, technology can and will make everything better. It always has. This is partially due to the attitude in Silicon Valley, which says technology is neutral. Mathematics doesn't take sides. Science doesn't have a bias. The problem is that humans do. And as long as humans are the ones that are writing the software, even if it's the software that ends up writing other software, it will still be shaped by those biases and limitations. I think 2018 has poked some major holes in this myth of neutrality. We're seeing that technology on its own doesn't make the world better or worse. People do. Technology isn't always neutral. Not by a long shot. There are layers of hidden bias in the data and design of the technologies that are increasingly populating our daily lives. If you're looking to software as a replacement for humans, you're going to run into major problems. The optimists among us, those who still believe in the positive evolutionary potentials, are starting to come around to this reality. 
Awareness of the serious problems getting coded into the programs and algorithms running our society is growing. But rather than seeing this as the reason to abandon the cause, some are seeing this as the place where the rubber meets the road. This is where we either sink or swim. This is where we face the challenges. One of the ways to face these challenges, in my observation, is diversity. Now, usually you think of diversity and you think of this buzzword that's used to portray yourself as an enlightened and empathic person, but in this day and age, it's actually a greater asset than we usually realize. Many would actually argue that a lack of diversity in tech is how and why we are in this situation in the first place. When digital technologies are widespread and take on social tasks or roles, it's hard to say that there's one right answer. In mathematics or chemistry, yeah, there are right and wrong answers. But software design is one part art and one part science. Whenever technology meets society on a massive, transformative scale, it becomes dangerous to say that there is one right way to do things. It's even more dangerous to start forcing everybody to do things that way. Power dynamics consolidate, harden, crystallize in oppressive ways. The effects on people in that society can be devastatingly toxic. Diversity of opinion, of experience, of expression, of intelligence help repair that toxicity. They enhance our ability to understand the world, to make sense of it. They help us reflect on our behaviors to each other and help us reform or regulate them. There can be no single algorithm that will solve all our problems. There are many solutions to the question of how to live, and there have always been. The availability of those diverse solutions is what makes them useful. It's what makes them serviceable to human beings with human needs and human motivations. It also provides a check on our BS. The fourth industrial age demands an ability to read into social contexts and to perceive the same situation from multiple points of view. Because when we augment our capacities as humans, as we do with these technologies, threats to our survival as a species and as a civilization are also augmented with them. It's great to have dreams. It's great to have grand visions and master plans. It's also just as important to have a wide array of them, interacting, building off one another for mutual benefit, because as great as these visions are, all of them will inevitably contain flaws. It takes a diverse group of people to look at those plans and critique them, to offer real solutions and alternatives that help keep us adaptable to change rather than double down and embedded in fragile and flawed, hyper-complex systems of power. Our guest this week is Ruben Cantu. Ruben currently serves as the Director of Inclusive Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the University of Texas at Austin and is the CEO of socialgood.us and the Level Up Institute. He is also the founder of Core Media Enterprises.
All right. We are here with Ruben Cantu. Uh, Ruben, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate having you on and appreciate your time. Um, let's get a little started with uh, your projects. You have many projects that you're involved in for social good, especially uh, locally within the Austin, Texas area. Can you help uh, tell our listeners uh, a bit about what your organizations do and what your involvement is with them? Over the past six years, actually going on to eight years, uh, we've been working on an effort to try to help Austin become the social innovation capital of the world. We really believe that Austin has the elements that it can uh, you know, stand out as one of the centers for a social impact and innovation. Through that process, we have uh, launched many different initiatives, uh, such as the first ever Stop by Southwest Interactive um, conference on social impact and innovation. Um, moving forward onto that, we launched the very first ever social innovations fun and fast pitch with an accelerator program. And then beyond that, we've started uh, initiatives like the Level Up Institute uh, and a community meetup group that's around 600 members around here in town. So we meet, meet monthly. So uh, all in all in all, our three main purposes of Social Good US is to promote social innovation, impact and entrepreneurship. And we believe that we by doing so, uh, can create better businesses that can in turn help the economy, help the environment, and help the community. Okay, so your approach to this is also that the social good that you're doing through technology is ultimately actually a good for business, not something that's going to detract from it. We need to learn how to live in symbiosis. Uh-huh. And so while you sometimes need to stand up and speak against things that are wrong, for the most part, everybody here is trying to learn and get by and survive. And if we approach it from that empathetic standpoint, we can understand each other's point of view. We can get a lot more done instead of demonizing people. Yeah, that's a great uh, point of view. I appreciate that. All right. Um, so obviously doing the, the work that you do, uh, you, you've got to be an optimist to do social good, right? Uh, so what are some of the positive trends that you're seeing in technology today? You know, with the advent of artificial intelligence and machine learning, there is a big horizon that's kind of the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen, but I really feel optimistic that there will be people who want to use this technology for good. Sure, there's going to be people who want to exploit. There's always been um, people who play a role in society who may not always act above the line of integrity, mm -hmm. but... Our goal and our effort is to call that out. Mm -hmm. I think that the reason that, you know, for example, Nazism, and I forget to even go there for a second. Sure, but, sure. I mean, it's it's relevant. So. Right. The reason that it failed, right? And we see start seeing a surge of it right now. But the reason it failed is because inherently in our souls as a humanity, we realized that was the that was not the direction we wanted to go in humanity. Yeah. And I think that when all of us stand up and speak and all of us show our value and our dignity and our worth. We realize that we're better together than we are separate. Yeah. And so I believe that even with artificial intelligence and these new technologies that are emerging inherently, if we seek to empathize and, and put that into the framework of creating artificial intelligence, machine learning and new emerging technologies, mm -hmm. then we'll be able to help humanity thrive. So you're seeing it more on the human side, not not so much in the in the technology or any kind of software itself. Is I always see it from the enablement of humans. Okay. I always see technology as serving and enabling humankind to do better. Even with all, all this technology, we still have the ability to create higher versions of ourselves mm -hmm. because we innately as humans have that desire. We are now just using this form of technology today to try to do the same thing. 
I think there's going to come a point in past where spirituality will answer scientific, the science, this, our biggest science questions and mm. science will help explain our spiritual um, realm. And we're not there yet because it sounds really woo woo and really like amorphous. But I think if we get to this point, we'll be able to get a better clarity of where we're going as a civilization. And here's where this brings into this concept of singularity. Okay. So, Oh, so you're tying, you're tying these ideas to yes, singularity, singularity. If you could please explain that a little yeah, bit as well. So, so technology is evolving such at a fast rate that we will have computers that will be as smart as us. If it's not smarter than us. And so singularity has been predicted to come at about 2039, 2040, roughly okay. speaking. Um, some people keep changing that date. Yeah, it depends who you ask, right? Because uh, Ray Kurzweil, who's the uh, proponent, the major proponent of the idea, has, has been changing his date for a while. Uh, he said it was 2020, and now I guess he's pushed it back or uh, a couple times. Um... We know it's coming, however. Okay. And if we don't start thinking about that possibility, then we're going to get caught by surprise. Okay. And so what I think, and my, my plea and my, my goal is, let's not... Think about technology in a silo. Let's not think about spirituality in a silo. Let's not think about humanity in a silo. Uh Let's think about it as interconnected and interdependent. And so back to the definition of singularity. Singularity is a basic concept that um, by this point in time, computers will be as smart, if not smarter than humans. And we will have the ability to integrate technology into our biosystem, our biological system. Okay. And so we will be able to do things... Um, that normal, what we understand as traditional human beings would not be able to do. And we will may- maybe expand our, um, our memory capacity, our, our physical functionalities, etc. And so this is pretty exciting because essentially it'll take us to what maybe um, ancestrals call, call like God-like people. Um, and if that's the case, then who gets access to that? Right. And then who who gets to serve those and so this becomes all these ethical questions yeah but i think at the bottom line before you go to the ethical questions like if we can approach it from a how do we use this as service of all people not just some of the elite yeah okay so that's yeah that's an important question because that's also one of the big critiques on uh people who are proponents of the singularity uh so it's interesting that you're bringing that to the table here but yeah it tends to be uh rich white guys that really like the idea and um in a way like some of it flatters them and kind of like uh you know it feeds into their advantage because they'll be the first ones to have access to it because they'll have the capital the money to 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 get it and so on but but what you're kind of bringing to the table is that well that all people need to be kind of a part of this this vision and this this dream or even if it's not a dream even if it is a a a inevitability um, then we need to, we have an ethical responsibility to bring everyone on board with it. And so we can learn from our past. Right. Because if you think about it, how did, how did the United States become the fastest, richest country in the world <laughs> exactly. so fastly? Slavery. Slavery, right? <laughs> and essentially yeah. what the role of technology is serving right now, we, we use slavery to do that and advance right. so fast. Right. We can quickly end up in that situation because we still haven't made up for the sins. Right. And I mean, arguably we've, you know, there's people who will say, well, we kind of just exported this, the slavery to mm-hmm. China and the third world. Yes. And so um, while we're trying to uplift everyone, um, we are 
um, facing the challenges of like who gets access to this technology. Right. Now, here's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, here's some silver lining, silver grace. Uh, maybe it depends on your perspective, but sure. here's, here it is. There's actually more cell phones in the world than there are people. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we have proliferated technology <laughs> into a hand almost every this is hand. working and and not working <laughs> working and our check this out it's so working so well that we have more cell phones than we have people with running water yeah that should be alarming <laughs> so how about we start thinking about uh-huh. how do we use the same type of technology and thinking to make sure that these people have water yes right yeah and so that's a lot of the conversations i like to have and that's what like social good us has really been form formulated around it's like okay business doesn't have to be bad Mm-hmm. And nonprofits don't have to be evil by trying to earn money, right? And there, there's, there's an in between. It's worse. We're, we're a big proponent of B corporations or what we call yeah. benefit corporations yeah. because I believe that inherently we're all trying to do something that is good for the world. And a B corporation is like a, it's, it, it's kind of like a nonprofit that can make a little bit of profit. It's, it's an interesting. Well, actually, middle status. there's no limit on how much a B corporation can make. That you're confusing that with the L- oh. L3C, and I'll come back oh. with it in a second. Sure. Um, but a B corporation says um, you can be a, a C a C corp or S corp, and you can have a B certification or B designation. And, yeah. and uh, not to get too complicated, but essentially the point is, in an S corp and a C corp. You are fiduciary and legally bound and responsible to maximize all profits for its shareholders. Mm-hmm. If not, you will be fired or sent to jail. Right. Right. In a B corporation, it says, yes, but not at the cost of the community. So we have accountability right. to the community as well. And there may be some quarters, there may be some years where we don't maximize profits and we choose to do things that are good for the community right. because it's in our charter. And there's no legal recourse to try to oust the CEO or the board members because the share wasn't as high. And I'd like to promote this concept of inter- inter- interdependence and ownership because uh-huh. um, we have grown into this hyper ownership concept Yeah. where mine is mine is yours is yours. My, my responsibility is only me and my family and nothing else. And so right. when we start uh, applying a very myopic view of ownership, um, yes, we take care of what, what is within our, our reach, but we're not, we're not conscious of what's happening about, around us Yeah, and certain things could be falling apart and we're, we're too self-interested in our own progress and our prosperity to lend a hand. And I think inherently as human beings, we, we do want to help each other. That's how, that's why civilization has survived for so long. Yeah. But in our culture, we become um, hyper capitalistic, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes chasing the dollar is more important than chasing any, any any about anything else. And I think we need to balance that out. Okay, that's interesting because you're 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 a business guy, and yeah. you're saying <laughs> that you think we're a little hyper capitalistic. Uh, yeah. How does that go over with your contemporaries, with your, um, with your peers? They well. Most of everyone in Austin agrees with me, and the work that uh-huh. I do internationally with the United Nations, they agree with me. It's when I leave Austin in the Austin bubble, yeah, uh, and maybe I find myself in uh, I don't know a Dallas or maybe sometimes a Houston or somewhere in West Texas. Um, I can hear and understand where they're coming from because we came from the quote, quote unquote wild wild west and the frontier right. and like the self made man and I got to do this for myself. Yeah, it's so much a part of our identity and especially I, but it's, it's a lot of yeah. folklore too though well yeah because like my friend kevin coin always tells this uh, he's the founder of tech ranch 
uh, he always uh, talks about this uh, concept of raising the roof. You, you've heard this term about raising the roof. Do you know what this means? Um, explain it. Okay. Beside being a party term, the actual term of raising the roof <laughs> yeah. was when we as community in rural land in America would come and have a party as they were building a barn to help our neighbors raise the roof on top of the barn. <laughs> yeah. Once the roof was on top Very of the barn. Very literally raising the roof. Yes, we would have a party <laughs> and everybody would get, gather together. And that's where people would meet in the um, court. The, uh, the Amish still do that, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And so there's, there's this sense of of belonging and community that we've lost. I mean, technology yeah. has enabled us to be so connected yeah. except that we're disconnected. Yeah. We don't even know our neighbor's name. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Uh, well, let's let's go into that a little bit more cuz that that seems to be such a important part of the social good that needs to be done right now, right? Because we're we um, you know, everyone's talking about how we're divided as a nation, right? And and we not necessarily don't we don't necessarily understand what our neighbors think or or um we're kind of like off in our bubbles but at the end of the day too like you know how how many people actually do know their neighbors how many people actually spend time with them and um go through the trouble of getting to know them my susp- suspicion is two things we have divested and neglected our education system whether you're for charter or you're public, I'll come to that separate, separately. But we've divested so much that we have students who don't know how to have these conversations. Unless you come mm-hmm. from elite, wealthy, privileged backgrounds who they've been teaching them since like early on how civics education work. Yeah. We've divested civics education and just in education in general to our students, yeah. one. Two, we have a culture where here in America, and I don't know in other, other cultures if they have this or not, but I know in Europe they're a little bit more forthright and and, and and direct but in the united states we don't talk about three main things money yeah politics and religion mm-hmm. like oh stay away from that because right. i was like no don't stay away from that we actually need to learn how to be able to have a conversation yeah discuss we may not agree on everything but we need to be able to see other people's points and understand how to work through our own logic yeah so that we can actually get, get to a better argument or better understanding of each other and we're not doing that because we right. shy away because we're like, oh, no, my feelings are going to get hurt. Right. And I'm not asking people to be jerks. There, yeah. There's no excuse of being jerks. You should never disrespect anyone in a conversation. But we're not. We're so shying away from them because we don't know how to have tough, hard, crucial conversations. Yeah. Um, okay. This is this is interesting because a lot of people will agree with what you're saying, but then say, oh, it's, it's the fault of social media. I mean, social media is there. Um, you know, pushing uh, the the loudest voices in the room, <laughs> uh, the the least respectful voices in the room, often as well, and um, making it worse. And I know you're coming from this perspective perspective of oh well, we we don't we didn't have civics, and so that's part of it. But what role uh, do you think technology is playing in this dilemma? I don't think we can have technology as a monolith that has no responsibility. Technology is us. Right, like Mark created Zuckerberg, like Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook, right? Right. And we just saw, you saw the, the the story cycle this week that they knew about it, and he tried to skate it away and rush it on and hire a PR firm, and but they all- knew about the Russian interference. Yes. Right. Yeah. So for those who are uh, who haven't read up on this story yet, the um, just this week there was a uh, kind of like an expose almost 
uh, on how much Facebook knew and when and how they um, somewhat intentionally just turned a blind eye and decided to take the money and run. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. And all of the while kind of uh, bullshitting Congress and, and the public to say that they were concerned that, that this was really something that they um, uh, wanted to wanted to address um but uh, it showed that not only did they do it this time but they have kind of a history of of these tactics so that comes back to our original premise right yeah like it's not technology it's us yeah it's leadership so a lot of the work that we do in social good us is about creating more sound and ethical and conscious and servant leaders right and when i say servant leaders i don't just mean on a, on a religious tip like oh you got to be a servant great but if you yeah. can apply those concepts in real life and say hey how do i serve my fellow brother human human right like how do i right. help you and we have more leaders who are empaths that way right we can create better companies they say they did a study that said that um it's like over three quarters or more of ceos in fortune 400 today's have psychopathic tendencies sure. some crazy things like that and, and yeah. i was like wait hold on like i've seen things like that yeah and that scared me i was like wait do i have psychopathic tendencies <laughs> like hold on what's going on here and they, I really, they kind of fit the profile of what's demanded in the job exactly and so you do have to make tough decisions as a ceo but that never means that you have to be a jerk you have to do you have to um forsake your 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 situation i was um it's also like you don't have to be the CEO 24-7 and you can kind of step out of that role and make a sound decision, right? There is a great um, parable that I was taught by a friend of mine. His name is Immortal Technique. He's a great prolific yeah. MC. And he says, it's okay to compromise in a situation. It's never okay to compromise yourself in a situation. Mm -hmm. So whenever you compromise your values, your integrity, and your dignity to be able to um, accomplish anything that you're trying to accomplish then you yeah. lost who you are super important because we um we often are put in situations where uh in order to get ahead we're asked to shut down some essential part of ourselves and and um i'm thinking i don't know if this is super applicable but i'm kind of thinking of like the terms and conditions things that we always click yes on right they're basically you know agreements that they can take whatever data they want in favor you know so that we can use this thing for free uh or for a low cost or whatever it is that their their uh support their system is uh but often without like a full knowledge we, we don't really get full knowledge of how they're using it and we don't necessarily uh, understand that if we collectively stood up and said, Hey, no, if this data is val valuable, you need to give us something in return um, or come up with some sort of other business model. Well, right? we are, we are the product, right? Exactly. So yeah. we, we have to, we have to just get through our minds that if we are not paying for the product, we are the product. Yeah. <laughs> That's an important uh, but We lesson. are being sold and traded on the marketplace called Facebook. Yeah. based on our user actions and interest and et cetera. Right. Um, and, you know, for that matter, our media, right? And so if we do not pay for media, yeah, media will have <laughs> us as a product. Yeah, yeah. It's an important point. Um, uh, so you're saying that technology is not to blame, that that us. It's, it's us, that the technology is just a tool. and But the thing is that uh, technology is a augmenter of human characteristics That's but fair. it's i think what we're seeing in the digital age is that that augmentation 
is no longer tied to context in the way that like a tweet can reach millions of people, um, but it doesn't necessarily, because it's so short and because you don't see the actual person and you don't see the actual way in which they're interacting with people, the context is lost in what's said. And so it's easy to take things out of, uh, you know, out of proportion or to interpret it, misinterpret it, uh, either purposefully or not purposefully and to create, you know, <laughs> weird fake realities basically out of little things that you're getting here and there. Right. I think that is why civics education and the most important virtue I think for leadership is discernment discerning um in spanish the way i broke it down because it's a latin word this this yeah. need un cierno uh, so like is a sifter right so okay. when the 49 like when, in the rush the gold rush of 40 in the 1849 they went to go sift right and they were using these like pans and trying to sift or for goat that was discerning right because they right. tried to get separating the, the the dirt from the gold and so in discernment you have to be able to one be uh centered with yourself and understand who you are and your worth and then when you see these messages come across, uh, realize that sometimes when it's being said, it's more about what that person's going through yeah. than the the attack that's meant to be going through you, right? So you know how they say misery loves company? Right. Well, it's because they are not in a centered situation right. and they're literally lashing out really. At, it's, a, a car, it's a cry for help. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it is. And so we need to be conscious of that. And so when we see... Some of our leaders, they will remain nameless in this podcast, <laughs> acting in ways that we do not see leaders act. It's really that there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff they haven't worked through. Sure. And we have to start deciding what kind of leaders we want to vote into office. And mm-hmm. it's sometimes not the morally, uh, traditionally correct um type of leader that we used to meaning like oh they have to be a pastor or they have to be this traditional conservative way of thinking no like we have to see them as a whole because we've even seen people who are in the clergy right who haven't really stood up to these values so it's right it's not just a title it's a progression of history is like who are you as a character and how have you served your community and even then there's no guarantee that you'll be yeah well i mean so that that's an interesting point that you're making, right? Because the the leader is a symbol, right? Yes. But in this day and age, we've we've kind of gotten to the point where we realize all the symbols are kind of in, imperfect. Yes. Right? And and that was kind of the appeal, or at least as as Trump supporter. I'm sorry, I've said his name, <laughs> but at least as that guy's supporters say, uh, that's part of why they liked him was because he was not a typical politician, and that gave him. Uh, a lot of leeway and maybe there's other reasons why they actually say that or that's an excuse for other things but that is part of the the argument that's presented is that um somebody who 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 broke the mold of what we expected out of politicians got more attention because the desire was for change was for something to to shift so in a sense in that that very um that very you know, imperfection of him sort of works in his favor. You know what I'm saying? He's, it's not the imperfection. It's, it's the thing that he consciously knows what he's doing. And he's doing it intentionally. Okay. This is my firm belief. Sure. Um, because he had, we have seen him apologize. Um, and so he is capable of feeling. 
um, how he feels and how that psychologically, that's a whole other conversation. America, uh, or those who were in power, decided to forego human decency and, and what is uh, civil and cordial uh, and what we, what we demand in a role model uh, in order to reclaim and retake power. Right. And if you look at all the demographics, um, you can make the argument that where we are today was enhanced by social media, right? So we, we, so we had this, this thing called social media. Mm-hmm. They knew how to leverage it and, yeah. and they created stories. And, and um, we ended up in a situation where our country is questioning our own identity of who we are. We have ability to go back. We have the ability to state what our values are. And, and if you see all the, all the numbers and all the direction of our country is saying, Hey, we're going to change our leadership starting in the house. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is positive because now we're using social media in a positive direction. Right. Uh-huh. So again, making that same argument, is technology going to be the end of us? No, technology is neither a savior or the end of us. It is us where we decide how to do it. If we, we, we need to be mindful of where we are in our country and being able to speak for the ones that are the most depressed. Yeah. Because that's how we become a great country, quote yeah. unquote speaking. Um, it's by how we treat the most poor and, and the most young, the yeah. ones who don't have the rights. And I think we're slowly moving in that direction again. Yeah. And I just want to speak on behalf of those people who um, feel that our country is actually going in a positive direction with our current leadership. Yeah. And let them know that I understand why they may feel that they feel, and I respect that. I don't respect necessarily the tactics that have been placed, but I can understand their journey and history of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And this, this accustomed to power and privilege. Um, but I want to let them know it's, it's, it's slanted. And here's why yeah. there's a phrase that really has spoken to me and said, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Right. And people were like, wait, hold on. I'm not privileged. <clears throat> Do you know how I grew up, etc." But far and, far, far and wide, when you look at all the stats and you look at a progression of people and communities, you will see a certain segment of the mainstream community still having more access and representation and power than uh, marginalized and segmented communities. And so while we're all a country together, if we can use technology to be able to bring us together so we can understand each other, I think that's where the beauty is at. And so Social Good US, which is part of this larger global network called Plus Social Good that we launched in 2012, 2013 with the United Nations, its whole purpose has been how do we use technology and new media and activism and conversation to drive grassroots change on a local level and then hopefully that trickles up mm. to the national and international conversation. Yeah. Well, great work. I like I like that you're doing that kind of work. Um couldn't be more important at this time. Back to the divert the so you you talked about uh, protecting uh, the the more vulnerable people in our society. Um, it seems with what you were saying before about um, the access to technology to super almost like superhuman style technology that's on the on the verge, 
of coming to fruition that it's even more important that we look out for them because their vulnerabilities will only increase with that kind of disparity in, in power. Um, can you speak a little bit too about just what is what, um, for those who maybe are listening and, and either are themselves of the opinion or deal with people who are of the opinion that, you know, people who fall behind, that's just their problem. Like what, what are they missing out? What are they missing out by, um, by refuting a perspective that values diversity and that values the, um, the more vulnerable, the people who maybe don't fit into society's current expectations. So there's two um, opposing or contrasting stories that we use in our country yeah. and in society. In America, the American dream is you come here, you work hard, and you get ahead, and you get a chance at the American dream. But we know for many, and we're seeing the numbers shrink within the middle class, it doesn't really matter how hard you work. You're not moving up the ladder. It's really hard. And now the, the, the promise of getting education will help, will help you move into the middle class and upper middle class. That's almost prohibitive, right? And we have $1.5 trillion in debt. Mm -hmm. So something's broken there. Um, but to get that other contrast is there has to be a mind shift also with those who come from um, under-resourced communities. And here's why. Um, some people say, oh, you've been brainwashed. You've been like, no, I've been, been an entrepreneur for 10 years. I've been slowly inching and crawling my way, baby steps, trying to build something from nothing. So I can speak from both sides. Yeah. And when I let go of the, oh, I'm being oppressed and victim mentality and started trying to create value, I started seeing how doors were start opening up. That doesn't mean I stopped advocating for those who are underserved. Right. But I see myself as a bridge. Yeah. And so in my role at the university as the director of inclusive innovation and entrepreneurship at UT Austin, I'm doing exactly that. Mm. I'm saying, yes, these communities have been underserved. Yes, they've been under-resourced. Yes, they've been marginalized. And some of them intentionally, right? Right. Um, but that is not the future that we have to accept. We can change this. We can adopt our ownership and abundant mindset, and we can start creating wealth within our communities and recycling those dollars so that we are, also have representation. Right. Um, there's a stat, and I may butcher this a little bit, Okay. Um, but it, it, it really startled me. They said that roughly a, a dollar within these different communities circulates at a different level. So in the Jewish community, between seven to eight times, in the white community, about five to six times, in the Latino community, in the Asian community, four to five times, and in the Latino community, like two to three times, and in the black community, it was about thirty minutes. Mm. And it, it wait 30, 30 minutes exactly, which it didn't match up. But I can pull up this <laughs> in the report, and those who are out there listening, are like, okay, here's the report you're looking for, Ruben. Please help me so, out. But but basically, the idea is that we as don't soon as they're getting it because they, they don't own anything. It goes right back out. It goes right back out. Uh huh. And so. The only way we address these disparities is, yes, on a systemic level, we need to provide more resources for, to help them lift up. So right. I'm advocating for that as well, right? Um, but also, um, we, we need to have the skills and the mindset shift that says, because we're not, we're not here asking for a handout. We're asking for a hand up, right? right. And, and we have our own self-determination and ability to do for ourselves. 
And if people will surround us as we're moving around and support us, we can do great things and we have doing great things. And here's how I know this hip hop. One of the biggest revolutions this past century has dominated the world as the most popular music. Yeah. That grew up, came out of the Bronx. Right. And who's capitalized on it? Not the culture <laughs> who created it. Right. And so, and my man's like, oh, you're trying to pit us against each other. It's like, no, I'm just saying that we have the capacity to innovate yeah. and invent, but we also have to need to be able to capacity to be able to restore and generate that wealth as well. Right. It needs to go back in some, yes. at some point. Great. Uh, okay. Well, you know, on that, on that note, um, and, and keeping with the theme of what uh, technologies like AI and these other technologies that are part of what is often called uh, the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. So that's AI, machine learning, VR, AR, um, the list goes on and on. It's all the stuff we talk about on the show. Uh, so with those technologies poised to fundamentally change um, our world, especially something like, say, automation, right? Like, which yeah. which has the potential to disrupt employment in this country, right? Where we could tech- we have a situation where many people are, quote, technologically unemployed mm-hmm. or unemployable mm-hmm. um, because the machines will be able to do their jobs better than they can. And cheaper. And cheaper. It leaves us with a crisis because our current situation, you know, our Currently, we governments make money off of income taxes, right? And that's how they set up social programs and so on. So if that is the case, there needs to be some new way to distribute funds, some way to take care of all the people who might otherwise be displaced by this. Um, there's two veins I want to take on this. Um, there's been current experiments on universal basic income. And for those who don't know, yeah, universal basic income is this concept that uh, we tax corporations uh, based on the amount of robots that they have um, that have basically eliminated these jobs. And we use that money in turn to be able to give to people to sustain themselves. Some of the, the concept, some of the experiments has been semi okay. They're still working it out. Some of them failed um, either way. There's still, it's still early in the game. I think there's a lot of promise here. There's a lot of people that are backing it. Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, the list goes on. Musk, I think is also supporting that. But there's a larger meta issue. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. We have created a society where we are needing to grow and we need to be of service. And so in order for us to have a civilized society and be able to share resources, we're like, okay, give yourself a purpose. And then in that purpose, then you exchange, you, you create value and then you exchange that value for other things that you value. Right. And then there's a whole marketplace and then we can create a system called capitalism. Um, we may be getting into a point where we, because of technology, we may have the ability to further think about who we want to become in the world, even for the less privileged. And so if now our mission on earth is not to survive, but to rather thrive and to fully self-actualize, then what does that world look like? And shouldn't be that world that we are trying to create and shouldn't, AI and all these other technologies help us be able to reach that and not as not only in our service, but integrate within our 
being yeah. to help us become that. And what, what does that world look like? Do we continue re- replicating what we have today just in a more technologically advanced way? And then like right. we have the dichotomies and disparities of today, or can we actually learn um, from this? So I see technology as an enabler. Um, and so I don't want to be anti-technology, but I do see the perils and risk of technology if we do not have right leadership at the helm. Because then it can yeah. go awry. Okay, and that, but that to come back to the the universal basic income question. Uh, so, does that just to sort of contextualize what you were saying? Does this mean that UBI is a way to ensure that we are building technologies that uh, create a the kind of society that we want? Is that part of the the uh, justification? I don't know or... if UBI is the exact model or answer, but I am fascinated and want to do more experiments on it. Okay. But I do see some potential in that aspect. But, you know, I think even, and I may be misquoting again, um, but Buckminster Fuller, like, and other, several yeah. other people like him, talked about there would be one day where we didn't need to have jobs anymore. Right. And that this whole civilization based on your worth is based on your job. Yeah. Um, is, is ludicrous. Your, your worth is based on who you are as a person. Right. Your job is just the by, byproduct of you being able to create a living for yourself. And once that's not needed anymore, then we can focus on things that actually do matter. Yeah. So uh, I, what does that look like? It's, I, <laughs> I've never stopped to think about like, wait, what if I never had to work? Like, what would I create? But I think like, I can tell you one thing, the people who do think that are the ones that create the future. Huh. And so the ones who are liberated from having to survive every day and have all this time to think end up coming with some of the most amazing human advancements um, that take our, our, our society forward. So, and that, so, but, so that's the dream. That's the goal is to have a society where everyone has um, enough leisure time and support to um, use their internal genius, essentially. And, I mean, and just, think about it. We had yeah. an electric car in the early 90s that we killed right. intentionally because we felt that it wasn't going to fit the economic model. <laughs> yeah. And we were not ready for it. It was too disruptive. Right. And then soon, like after like 10, 15 years later, we're like, oh, okay, we should do electric cars. Well, now they're all, yeah, now all the, the big three are, and, and beyond are all catching up and and building so, them. And but, think about but, it. We've yeah. been able to advance. Did you know that the first light bulb filament that was ever created because there's like a series of them, right? Right. Can last 99 years. <laughs> but we created it, this yeah. thing called planned obsolescence. Right. Yeah. So that we can continue to cycle that dollar. Yeah. And so I'm not against creating value or capitalism. Yeah. But if we can solve a problem. Yeah. Let's move on to the next problem. Let's not keep trying to. <laughs> yeah. Fit. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so when you, it kind of comes back to your point about being overly capitalist, like in a sense, if you're. I mean, one of the critiques when people talk about overcap, you know, being overly capitalist has to do with being, um, creating these, these, uh, planned obsolescences or, or, um, you know, artificial, uh, scarcity. Exactly. Right. And Apple, one of the biggest companies in the world who I used to work for, not trying to defile them, <laughs> but we, it, there, it has been proven and shown like the way that you make money is through that plan obsolescence. But right. at the end of the day, um, we need to be more careful how we, how we plan out our products Yeah, because we do, we do need that money to innovate, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But at what point do we extract so much that we're actually defiling our earth? Now, Apple's moved in a new direction, right? Now we're using new phones with new recycled materials. Yeah. It's more sustainable, aluminum, etc. But think about how long it took to get there and the supply chain to make that happen. Yeah. And why is it only happening now when, you know, we had if we had the political will and the desire and the consciousness, we could have done it a lot earlier. So I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Apple only. I know that there's other companies who are doing this, but I'm using that as an example is that if they, the largest corporation um, in our country and for the matter of the world, one of the largest ones um, can do this, how, how much more can we all do collectively as a community, yeah. uh, as, as a global community to do this? Because we can save and we can turn back the, 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 the clock on our destruction of the environment. Right. But we have to decide that it need to, that needs to happen today, it, yeah. Because we see it as this thing such far away that it's so intangible for us. Yeah. But it's it's now. Yeah. Great. So yeah, speaking of now, right? Um, we have uh real life examples already of technology being used to perpetuate um things like racism, institutional racism in particular, um. Uh, obviously, there's the the more v- visible uh, use of technology to uh, spread hate and propaganda online. Um, and there is this magical black box thing <laughs> to most people. It's just this magical entity called the algorithm, right? Which is at the core of machine learning, AI, all these things that we're talking about. And we're already running into issues where um, for instance, there's this thing called uh, predictive policing, uh, where based on uh, historical data, uh, police departments are able to determine where and when to send squad cars to different parts of a neighborhood to Minority try and, report. and catch people. <laughs> yeah, it is like that movie Minority Report, a pre-crime sort of thing based on data and statistical information. But the critique against it which was not that different from the movie is that it's biased that the system itself has, has biases in it. And when we, um, and and what this does is kind of go against the, the argument that, Oh, it's technology. So it must be neutral, right? Technology is always going to be neutral. And in a sense, the technology, the machine is neutral in that you can kind of put whatever you want in and it will it will do what you want, but the the software is not neutral, right? The the data itself is not necessarily neutral. It's depending because it depends on where it's coming from and where where it's <laughs> where it's going. Um so what um is that on your radar at all? Is that something that all you're all the time. Yeah. So can you uh, talk to our, our audience a little bit about um what you're looking at, especially from your uh position as a as a latino right like you're this is something you obviously have to be very aware of uh in in this day and age in this country um so what what is on your mind about it and what what um kind of uh directions do you you do you hope we can take to sort of combat these these sorts of trends i urge leaders to take unconscious bias training it is very healthy Mm-hmm. Um, here in Austin, we're running um, series that the mayor has encouraged all leaders to take in the city called um, Beyond Diversity. Okay. And I would encourage everyone to Google that and sign up for a seminar. And if you can't afford it, then sign up for a scholarship. 
it's going to be, it's very therapeutic. There's been people who I've sat down with who are very influential in the mainstream community who have told me, Ruben, if you would have told me all the things that you're telling me two weeks ago before I took this workshop, I would have been disgruntled, bothered, and just plain right upset because I didn't see myself as someone who had privilege. I didn't see myself as anyone, you know, I didn't see myself in this light. But now that I've been able to understand our history, how we came here, and how this society has intentionally kept down and oppressed certain communities, I can understand the tension and divide. And now I, I want to step up and be an ally. And I said to, I said to them, thank you. That means a lot because you know, it's so hard for us to even speak out in the first place saying, Hey, there's these injustices that exist. Uh, we need to do something about them. And so to answer your question, what do we need to do? We need to help intentionally foster greater leaders. And leadership is not just the title, it's the role and the responsibility and the way you carry out every day. You can have a title and still not be a leader. And so from the lowest rung person on the company, we should all demand great leadership characteristics out of every single one. And a great leader will do that. They will, they will pull and demand the greatest out of you um, and push you to your greatness. And we simply do not have, well, I haven't seen enough people doing this type of work and if we do this then the algorithms that we influence can help consider a lot of these in historically um uh challenged situations yeah. so the answer is still on the human side it's always going to be on the human side yeah. as long as we're the ones creating it yeah there's no circling there, there's no circle circling circling around that yeah so it's a it's a big world out there, right? It's there's a lot of a lot of big issues that we're all grappling with. A lot of opportunities for leadership, a lot of opportunities for activism, um, just and and just for good work in the community, right? You're obviously working with underserved communities, um, both in your businesses. And as a, uh, a professorship at, at the UT or? Um, soon to be. Well, I guess next semester I will be. But um, okay. it's, I'm the director of uh, inclusive innovation and entrepreneurship. Okay. So you're running programs there too. Okay. Um, so for those of us that are hearing these issues and want to do something effective about it, what do you, what do you suggest to them? Well, um, from the... I think one, everyone needs to step back and understand what privilege is. Mm. Um, and the concept of it is this unearned right and power that you may hold that you had nothing to do with. So I, as a Latino male, have privilege. And I need to all consider it and also check it. And then I need to understand where I lie in the sense of power. And then when... I'm faced with an opportunity to enhance or empower or give opportunity to others who have historically not had that position. I need to open the way. Um, if we start there, we're going to do a lot of good. Um, and it's not saying, oh, well, I need to like totally take myself out of the picture. Yeah. 
but we can be in service of others. Mm -hmm. Because if we believe in equality, then we need to believe in equity. And equity is a shared access of ownership and resources and um and the investment in that so it continues to grow um ask me the question one more time yeah well and and i want to also make sure that we we follow up on what you're saying right because what you're saying to some people is common sense and to other people it's it's controversial highly controversial um if not uh um heresy Mm -hmm. right to to their orthodox beliefs of, of capitalism yep um, so I want you to explain that as well. But the question that I was asking um, is what the listener, the average listener to this conversation yes. can do to um, make a difference. So one, recognize our privilege. Two, step out and advocate, not just for your own agenda, but for the, for the agenda of your neighbors. And it's like, well, who are your neighbors? That's the beauty. You get to choose. But here's the thing. If we all do our part and we all reach out to different disparate um, communities, we end up creating a tighter community. You know, the, the Washington Post came out with an article about four years ago that said that um, the way the racial divide stands out, if you're a white person in America, you have a high probability of not having to run into any person of color for the most part throughout their whole day. Uh, in your circle of friends, you're like very limited into the, the amount of people of color in your circle. But if you're a person of color in the United States, the amount of other people of color um, in different communities and, and backgrounds is high and, and, and it's abundant. And so your interaction with different cultures is um, more prevalent, which means that from the mainstream, we need to do a better job than saying, well, you know, I'm not racist because, you know, I have one black friend. Right. Right. Because I know I'm being stereotypical when I say this, right? Yeah. But it's we need to increase the engagement um, with communities that are not like ours. Yeah. So that's the bottom line. One, so recognize the privilege, engage with those communities, advocate for them. And then three or four is find ways that we can collectively uplift all of ourselves. Because yeah. when we let go of this concept of they yeah, and we understand it's us. And we move forward as a society, as a country, as a, as a global community. But we inherently, because of the way our evolutionary mind has progressed, we can only see up to the horizon and we only have empathy for those within our circle. Right. But we need to understand how to have empathy for those beyond. And, and why? And, and I don't mean to be like, I, I personally understand why, but I'm asking why, because I think there is um, sometimes a dismissal of, of this kind of uh, approach as you know bleeding heart liberal let's just put it that way mm-hmm. right because we we're in texas we hear that a lot <laughs> or a snowflake or a snowflake yeah. right like this is this is just a bunch of hippies that are trying to sing kumbaya and um and that's that and and i and i want to push that because i i see that it's there is a, a universal value behind that that is being obscured when people come with that argument and say, oh, it's just a bunch of people trying trying to be nice. What I'm saying is that even for a person who maybe doesn't value the niceties, who maybe doesn't care so much about being politically correct, there's still a value 
to diversity and to different points of view, even if they don't fit, even when they are kind of challenging, right? That there's a value to being challenged in the orthodoxy of your view. Civilization thrives because we depend on one another. Yeah. You can be the lone rugged man in the woods and live on your own. But even then you understand you have to get along with nature and you mm. respect it. When you understand as a person, um, it's either a lone man in the woods and likes to be in nature. You can see that we're all connected. That what happens within my world will affect yours and vice versa. If we can stop, if we can evolve in our mental way of thinking to a higher level of thinking that sees us all connected, we'll be all able to support one another. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of legislators, especially in the Midwest and, and northern part of the United States, or the ones that are actively supporting and advocating against um, any immigration um, ad addressing with this caravan coming to the United States. In the Northwest? Yeah, so I was just watching the news this morning, and they're like, we need to do everything we can to control our borders, and we need to build this wall, etc. Yet you don't see people who are on the border in El Paso and uh, in the, these areas who are more, more engaged with immigrants on a more, uh, more higher, on a higher private basis. Face to face. Face to face. Yeah. You don't see them looking at them as the enemy. Yeah. Isn't that interesting though? So why do we have much more of a symbiotic relationship with our neighbors to the south closer to the border? Yet those who are far away are so scared of the caravan. And it's because they see them as they. Mm -hmm. And so they're othered. The other. Mm -hmm. And I would ask the person who is not the bleeding heart liberal. Yeah. Who is a little bit more staunch conservative. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I get yeah. that. I'm, we're not always going to agree on everything. But we can agree that we all deserve the right to live as humans. Mm -hmm. And that we have human rights. Mm -hmm. And that we have, we should all have a chance for access to have a better life for ourselves and our community and our children. How we go about that, we can sit down and, and at the table and discuss one way or another. My, my solution may not be the right solution. And I'm okay to admit that. But I'm going to continue advocating for humans, even if they don't look like me. They don't come from my background. They don't pray the way I pray or pray at all. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's what made America great mm. when we did that. Because we brought some of the best ideas forward. I, get, I keep getting asked, what is this inclusive innovation about anyway? Right, yeah. Well, if innovation is the collision of ideas, concepts, or movements together, two or more, right? If that's the case, we've have been having innovation happen in silos. Yeah. In elite Ivy League universities, in research development departments and corporations. But we haven't been including, and then that creates a lot of wealth, but we haven't been including those from under-resourced communities in these conversations. And so inclusive innovation says, let's bring all ideas to the table so that the best ideas flow up and then we can be able to use those to benefit all mankind. And those people who came up with those ideas can also benefit. And we've seen, um, like, for example, uh, the movie Hidden Figures. Yeah. These, these women who were black, yeah. like, helped us get to the moon. Yeah. And no one wanted to talk about it for decades, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And so what I'm saying to you is that opportunity and genius is spread out everywhere. Yeah. But the people who are running and have privilege and power, 
aren't the actual representation of all genius in the world. And right. so with America, the beautiful thing about it is that we allowed the best and the brightest to come here from different backgrounds and create what we have today. And for example, um, my father, he is a Mexican immigrant. For the longest time, I never really wanted to talk about it. I'm yeah. totally fine talking about it now. Yeah. Um, with eighth grade education, at the age of 18 and a hundred dollars in his pocket, not knowing the English language, he came here on paper. He would seem like that's not who we want to bring into this country. Right. But my dad is very intelligent. Yeah. And he had his three children. I being the oldest. I think I'm an asset to this country. If you ask me, maybe I'm being a little self aggrandizing. Well, if you didn't have the kind of intelligence that we normally recognize, there's other kinds of intelligence that he can have. And I can relate to you. I'll, I'll share a little personal thing too, that, my grandparents didn't have beyond, they had less than a, a, an eighth grade education and still managed to be very successful and show intelligence in other ways that, that aren't reflected on a, you know, report card or uh, a degree of some sort. And so that's part of the, the issue is right. Like if you have certain standards of how things ought to be and they don't fit that, then you miss opportunities and you start to throw away things that are actually good. Right, because you just because you can't see it because because you can't you're biased because you're too biased. Yeah, I would I would invite everyone to go and watch my Creative Mornings talk on Genius. Just yeah. go to Google, type in Creative Mornings, type in my name, and we talk about exactly that and how the IQ test and how it was devised. Yeah, inherent bias and racism throughout. Yeah, um, but yet we still plot it or use it as like a way of measuring intelligence. Right, and so what I'm saying is that. America is great because it took this gamble of saying, yeah, we, in our, in our quest to be greedy and the best country in the world, we said, we'll take everyone and anyone who will work for us. Yeah. And those immigrant populations helped our economy grow at lightning pace. Yeah. And so if we want to continue growing and innovate, we have to understand how we got in here and how we can create opportunities for those coming out uh, behind us. Not get up to the ladder and then for like some politicians, kick the ladder down yeah. uh, while yeah. everyone's trying to come up. Um, and I understand we have to have a balance. But we also have to have ideas that are um, engaging of those people. Some, there's, there's, a, there's a party who feels like they're going to lose power if we give these people voting rights. Right. But then that means that that party needs to innovate and come up with bolder ideas and why they should vote for them. Sure. So I believe that we can create a better country by advocating for people, engaging with them, um, checking our privileges, and finding ways to um, stop looking at others as they and the other, but as us. Yeah. And if we use technology to enhance and enable that, I think we'll end up in a much better position than we are in today. That's a great place to end it. Thank you so much, Ruben Cantu, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on this trip through the shadow of the valley. If you'd like to learn more about Ruben or his work, please visit socialgood.us, levelupinst.com, or diversity.org.
utexas.edu slash innovation. Our theme music was generously provided by Bly, spelled B-I-E-L-E. You can find her on SoundCloud and at https colon slash slash s-a-r-a-h-b-l-y dot com. Additional music was provided by Michael Garfield, host of the Future Fossils podcast. You can also find him on Patreon and Bandcamp. That'll do it for this episode. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Share it with any friends or family you may think will enjoy these interviews. I've been your host, Tal Leeds, saying, keep going. <laughs>